I want you to walk me through this. So I'm in this and there's obviously people here and they're being respectful. And the first thing that I want to do is just push the guy. Yeah. No, I'm not going to. Don't worry. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Okay. So what you're hearing here is me inside the metaverse with my compa Dave Moss. Yeah, so welcome to uh, the metaverse, I guess. This is a graffiti simulator called Kingspray Graffiti VR. So you should have gotten a message from me saying, come join me, and you just need to click on that. Dave's the investigations director for the nonprofit Electronic Frontier Foundation, and he's also a huge fan of virtual reality. Oh, that's me. Oh, wow, I have more hair in the virtual world than I do in real life, and it's curlier. I like new me. I want to jump over this wall. Come on, Metaverse. I want to jump over this wall now. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh. I don't think you can. Uh, but <laughs> you can grab this basketball over here and shoot hoops with it. Actually, I want to get that tire there. So to pick up the tire, there is a button. That oh, you there you are. Hi. Hey, how's it? I'm a little close. Everybody's talking about the Metaverse right now, but I didn't just want to talk about it. I needed to experience it firsthand. So Dave was my guide to one big part of the metaverse, virtual reality. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Monday, February 7th, 2022. Today, I wander around a few virtual reality environments and basically make a fool out of myself to get a better understanding of the promises and potential pitfalls of the metaverse. I know I'm frustrating you, Dave, but I'm the, this is the type oh, of no, no. internet person I am. <laughs> no. Oh, you just drank a beer. How do I, okay, so how do I drink this beer here? So you can either bend down and pick it up by, there's a button under your middle finger. So yeah, picture me in this big, clunky looking headset, making me look more like a nerd than I am. And I'm wandering around my living room, but also wandering around virtual video game-like spaces at the same time. And my producer, Myron Kaplan, they're following me around with their microphone and making sure I actually don't bump into a real wall. So when do we rip off a car and just like uh, start playing Bob Seger music? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure there's cars in this particular map. We could spray paint the, an underground train if we wanted. First, Dave, who was wearing his own dorky headset while sitting in his house in Nevada, he took me inside a VR space called Kingspray. He says it's one of his favorite virtual worlds. I spend a lot of time in here doing various graffiti things, sometimes with other people from around the world, sometimes just me, but this is my pandemic. Like this is during the first year of the pandemic, I spent you know hundreds of hours in here to the extent that I have memories in here where these are like physical places wow. in my brain, even though they're just virtual. For Dave, during the lockdowns and isolation of the pandemic, virtual reality became sometimes the most exciting thing he'd do in a day. He sort of became obsessed with covering virtual walls with his virtual graffiti. So why do you like tagging virtual walls as opposed to real walls? I think this is a really good example of VR in the sense that if you wanted to do this in the real world, it's gonna cost you a ton of money to buy all the spray cans. You're gonna have to risk you know, jail time going out and doing various things. So coming in here and being able to have infinite paint and infinite space to try it over and over again, it's pretty excellent, I think. Especially if maybe you are doing it in the real world, as a lot of people do, and they come in here and they practice it, they get everything right, they figure out how they want it to look, and then maybe they go and duplicate it out in the real world. 
But I just find this super mm. chill. Like I'm a doodler. Like I would normally in a meeting have a notepad and just doodle on it. But here doodling is just so much more physical and visceral. I'm able to, you know, I often will cover this entire wall with one big word. You know, and I've joined a few discords online where there's like a, a word challenge and you try to do like a new word every day. And so I've really yeah. gotten into that. But this has really just become a space for me. I was stuck in my, you know, San Francisco apartment for the first year of the pandemic. And this was like adding rooms into our apartment because I have all these places where I can feel like I'm spreading out. But beyond that as well, it just sort of, you know, there is a boombox in here somewhere. And I discovered like what is now my favorite internet radio station on this boombox in here. And they had their own Slack. And so I really ended up building a community based on what was in this space. Mm-hmm. It also feels like the most cyberpunk thing I've ever done in my life because it's in the middle of a pandemic, the sky is filled with smoke in San Francisco, and here I am taking refuge, you know, painting graffiti on virtual walls with artists from like Toulouse and Australia and Dubai. We'll be back after a quick break. So Dave has been using his fake worlds to make real connections. That's pretty cool. But meanwhile, the metaverse just made me want to break stuff. And it's weird because in life, you know, because in life, in real life, I like, you know, try to be peace and love and all that. But here I just like want to throw things. And again, my idea of virtual reality is Grand Theft Auto, which I think is one of the great like social satires of all time. But sometimes you just want to get on and just like go off and like, you know, run stuff over. Oh, yeah. There was like a time where I played this video game called Watch Dogs 2, which is like Grand Theft Auto, but with hackers set in San Francisco. And it did a really good job of emulating San Francisco, how it looks and feels, even like the conversations you overhear are the same you would hear in real life. And it's just funny because like I'm, you know, I have a very similar job in the real world that I did in the game. But in the game, you know, I'm stealing cars, I'm running over people, (laughs) getting grenades and throwing them and blowing people up, scaling buildings, all sorts of stuff. So I definitely think that once you're in a virtual world, a lot of people do behave differently. All right, let's go somewhere else. Take me around this metaverse world. Okay, so let's go try a different experience. So we're gonna go to something called Wander. Okay, so Wander is basically 3D Google Street View. Like, you can transport your virtual self to anywhere in the world. And it sort of kind of feels like you're there. Sort of, kind of. Oh, look. I am now in apparently in Scotland. Yeah, so Wander is based off of Google Street View. And I think you're probably familiar with Google Street View, but it is much, much different when you're using it in a VR space. So I'm going to take you one place, and then you're going to tell me where to go next. So... This is a flow in eastern Ghana on the border of Benin. Mm. I'm a real fan of this place. Uh, I figure you might like it because you might like border towns. So this is a very interesting border town. A lot of these stands that you see around are are changing money between the various currencies that are coming across the border here. But I'm going to move down the street a little bit. And so you can see, okay, you can see the, the beach or the ocean over there and the beach over there to our left depending on which way you're looking. This is a very interesting like application of the metaverse in that we've known that Google has been going around collecting video of every street in the world that it can with its little yeah. creepy cars. And you know people are used to seeing that on their browsers as a, you know, a, a way to get around. But once you start putting it into VR, I mean, this has been something that a lot of people during the pandemic have been using as a way to 
kind of replace that feeling of going on vacation. I certainly have been exploring all over the world, uh, you know, because I had a lot of travel plans that were canceled. But also, yeah. you know, we bought my house. You know, when we bought our house, I, I came in and checked it out in um, not this exact program, but a similar one called Google Earth VR that's on another system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was able to check out my house. We never actually saw the house in person before we bought it, but I did see it in VR. Oh, my God. Dave bought a freaking house without ever actually stepping foot in it. Oy vey. Anyways. He let me pick the next stop, so I chose my mom's ancestral village in Mexico, El Cargadero, in the state of Zacatecas. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't go up this road then? Oh, we can go up this road. We just, is, if that's the village down there, we can't get down there. Right Why? Now. It's just that the Google car has not been down to that village. <laughs> oh, wow. So you could tell that we, this is like real deal. Actually, go down back that road, like here. Oh, wow. I wonder if I could... Well, there has to be a road into the rancho. I have to admit, my mommy would have loved to have seen this. She'd say like, no, pues está bien, aka it's cool. So I guess the metaverse is kind of cool, but at the same time, it's kind of cringe. But it's creepy that freaking Google is all the way inside this small little village of population 200 up in the hinterlands of Mexico. I find this really incredible and wonderful. I feel like, you know, if we're looking at a a prolonged period where we have pandemic after pandemic and people aren't visiting other places in the world, this is a good option for people to get an idea of how things look differently outside of their own community. Honestly, though, most of my metaverse experience was just me being a klutz, fumbling around with the controls, trying to follow Dave from VR space to VR space. But somehow I always ended up getting lost. Where, where are you right now in, the, in real, virtual reality? I am in virtual reality. I'm like standing on the edge of a cliff. Okay. So it is a little janky trying to figure out stuff, I find, because when you're in VR, trying to look at your notes or look at something else are really, really difficult tasks, especially if you're trying to find your password. I'm sorry. I'm like the total dork at this stuff. Well, I mean, this is your first <laughs> time doing it. I've been doing this for since got i mean gosh like five or six years now so there you are yeah no that's no, so you're used to this like where's this hole in the matrix i could just get out of this <laughs> veil of tears we're back with dave moss and this time we're not in some strange vr land anymore so explain the metaverse to an ignoramus like me as simply as you possibly can. Uh, I mean, I wish I could. <laughs> I mean, this is a term that I've only actually heard pop up in the last couple of years. It's just kind of a trendy thing all of a sudden. You know, before it was AR, VR, XR, and then all of a sudden it was metaverse, and then Facebook came in and renamed itself meta, and then everybody's like, eh, I don't want to use metaverse anymore because uh, that really sounds really dorky. <laughs> but, but in short, we're talking about a fundamental shift in our digital lives in which it's not just interacting with people through text-based or chats on the internet or through Zoom, but having like these physical spaces in virtual reality or having digital spaces overlapping our actual reality. And so having technology scanning the world around us, scanning our bodies, having the ability to move with physicality around a space. I mean, we're just talking about the next kind of evolution in our digital selves. Two-word description. Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't know. It's... How about just really cool? Gosh. 
I mean, you've got virtual reality. So I would just say like, <laughs> I mean, extended reality is what people go for usually. Extended reality. Touche. So extended reality, virtual reality, things like Wander or Kingspray Graffiti, is that the metaverse or was it just part of the metaverse that we were in? I think it's just part of the metaverse. The metaverse isn't one specific thing. I think Facebook might like it to be one specific thing, and that's what everybody else is fighting about. The idea of a metaverse should be something that's cross-platform, that people can tinker with, that is not centralized in one particular platform. It's more of a planes of existence than it is one particular space. So Kingspray, Wander, these are just examples of how we might interact in the metaverse. So what's its history then? Just the whole idea of the metaverse and even just virtual reality for that matter. So with the metaverse, people often credit Neil Stevenson, the science fiction writer, for coining that term in the same way that people credit William Gibson for the term cyberspace. You know, we often see in the technological space that technologists will grab ideas from science fiction and then try to make them reality or then apply the words that were used in science fiction to describe these newer concepts. I mean, virtual reality has been around for a really, really long time. I would say looking at the 80s and the 90s, you would have seen it, it pop up here and there. I don't know if you remember the movie Lawnmower Man, but that was like a, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a, a pivotal film in my teenage years. But yeah, this has been around for decades and decades, but it really is only in the last five, six, seven years that the technology has reached the consumer level where Everyday people who would be spending two, three hundred dollars on a PlayStation or an Xbox are able to get the equipment to do it in their own homes. And Hollywood has touched on the idea of virtual reality. You mentioned Lawnmower Man. That's like a pioneer of that. Also, I'm thinking of movies like The Matrix, those films where you start crossing in with like video games with actual reality. But that phrase metaverse, it seems all of a sudden people have been using it. Why now? I don't know. It's just tech trends. I mean, <laughs> it's like every year or so, there's something hot that people are talking about. There's some sort of new term that takes off, whether it's like cryptocurrency one year or predictive algorithms or what have you. You know, big data was a, a term that was thrown around for a long time. It's just something that people have grabbed onto for a fleeting moment. And to be honest, I don't know how much longer people are going to want to use it now that Facebook has renamed itself Meta. Like, I just, <laughs> it just feels like they kind of ruined this term and people will move on to something else. But you get trends and then you get big money behind it. Indeed. Indeed. So anytime there's something like this and you start getting the hype, you start seeing investors moving money, you start seeing companies pop up out of nowhere and then sell themselves or just kind of flash in the pans that don't really exist for very long at all. So yeah, we are seeing the metaverse as this industry term, this investor term, this thing that VC investors are throwing around and it gets people excited. But you know, like all of these terms, people sour on them pretty quickly. Virtual currency and cryptocurrency, that was something that really took off with investors. And now you use that term and it's like, Eh, people are going to you know, throw shade at you or give you side eye if they hear you talking in the elevator about cryptocurrency. My father-in-law, he's thinking of getting into cryptocurrency. You're like, oh, it's not cool anymore. Nothing against my father-in-law, you know? I mean, people have debating opinions about whether it's cool or not and whether NFTs are cool or not. But it's, you know, we're talking about trends and technology. How was it the first time you experienced virtual reality? So the first time I experienced it, it was at San Diego Comic-Con before any of the systems had come out. HTC was demoing its Vive, Oculus was demoing the Rift, and PlayStation was demonstrating its VR system at the time, which was called Project Morpheus. And I put them on, and I was like, 
oh my gosh, as soon as they come out, I have to buy this. This is so much better than I thought it was. I thought this was going to be cheesy. I feel like I'm in Die Hard playing this one game. Huh. I feel like I'm learning how to paint in Tilt Brush. This really fundamentally changed everything for me that one particular year. And now I've got like all the systems at my house. It's helped to an extent reinvigorate my love for technology, which has been beaten down so much over the last few years by the rise of surveillance technology, by law enforcement, by all of the abuses of the social media companies, and really has made me a little bit jaded. But, you know, with a lot of this VR stuff, it really has opened my eyes to see a lot of the potential that made me love technology to begin with. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. That was so surprised to find out that you were so into VR because when I think of you, I think of not just your work with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, but your work when you were a reporter with all weeklies, always going against, you know, in favor of privacy rights, against tech companies, surveillance states, cities, and other powerful people and all of that. And here you are living in their world. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's certainly contradictions in this. I mean, I have really soured on social media of late and I've stopped using it quite a lot, but I find that I'm using VR quite a lot more. And certainly there are problems with that in the same way that I like going to see my doctor and getting my teeth fixed at, at the <laughs> dentist, but I have issues with the healthcare system in the United States. It's kind of the same thing. I do hope that we're able to influence the companies and governments to treat virtual reality, not make the same mistakes with the metaverse, so to speak, that were made with social media, that were made with the internet. But that takes work, it takes pressure, it takes advocacy, and it takes getting in there and building the world you want rather than just expecting somebody else to read your mind and make it the way that you hope it would be. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back. Dave, you mentioned how previous waves of technology, not just the internet, but also social media, they had this promise and then they just failed miserably. And, you know, right now, of course, we're talking about social media. I'm also souring, frankly, on some social media, a lot of it because of all this misinformation that's going well viral. How would the metaverse and these new spaces and technologies be any better or worse? Oh, I mean, they have that potential to be way worse. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. It has the potential to be way worse. I mean, think about the way that you might be influenced by something that you read in a news article versus somebody who you trust telling it to your face. So I think all this stuff could be abused. I think that people can be influenced more by, you know, if people's emotions are engaged, if their sensory elements, you know, their five senses, you know, touch and, and sight and sound, all of that combines can actually have like, you know, influence people to think certain ways. But, you know, I think we're still pretty early. And so I hope we're able to put those safeguards in place and not go so far that we create like a censorship regime, because I don't think that's the way to go either. But I do hope we can find a way to create, you know, norms and a culture in the metaverse where people are a little bit more respectful. And perhaps that's because one of the elements of here that might lend itself well to having this like nicer, gentler culture would be that people are interacting with each other in a physical space and they have, they're actually able to see the person in front of them as a person as opposed to just a Twitter handle or, you know, an icon in a little Twitter bio or, or what have you. A lot of times with these tech innovations, what you hear is the money, the investors coming in, the millions and millions of dollars pouring in, people trying to make money off of it. 
What stories are you hearing, though, from activists trying to make sure that the metaverse as it's being constructed remains an equitable place, remains a place that the commoners, so-called commoner, can get into instead of becoming just this playground for the privileged? There are certain elements that are going to lend itself towards that privilege. Number one is having uh, the money to buy a headset, to buy the technology. I think most people now are used to getting smartphones, but even having a smartphone is still a privilege in society. And you can see like unhoused people with cell phones and smartphones. And so it's becoming a little bit more leveled. But certainly if you're going to look at the people who have VR headsets, they're going to be people with better access to education, better access to money, better access to technology. And so that is going to influence how things move with, you know, VR and XR and AR. It's a hard thing to counter because, you know, as an activist and us advocates, we don't really get to see the inside of boardrooms. We don't get to see the inside of shareholder meetings where all these things are hashed out. So there is this imbalance of power. It's a, uh, on all things that digital rights advocates do, it is a asymmetrical warfare, you know, game that we're playing where we are underfunded, we are small organizations, but we're able to wield big hammers and baseball bats and try to get the tech companies to bend to our criticism, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. What are some of the other limits right now in the metaverse, especially so that as many people as possible can enjoy it? I mean, the hardware is a big issue right now. Right now, VR is pretty good. Like the headsets, two or $300, you can get yourself something pretty decent, which... I think that that is the you know, same sort of price point as a PlayStation or an Xbox. And so those are pretty well distributed across populations in the United States. So that opportunity is there. But the technology really isn't available for augmented reality. The ability to overlay other environments over the things that we're seeing day to day. You know, there's some products out there. Usually they're kind of glasses like the HoloLens or the Magic Leap. And I don't even have one of those. And I've got you know, all kinds of technology at my house. And so I think that's going to be one of the big barriers to that. But we also have to watch how it's being, VR is moving into other sectors that aren't just entertainment and consumer use. So one of the things I'm looking at is how law enforcement is using virtual reality. That we're starting to see police officers going into virtual reality to be trained on use of force or to be trained how to, you know, do a SWAT operation. It could be making them, you know, more empathetic. It could be making police deadlier. But I'm also worried about the day where the Robocop fantasy becomes real and police are walking around with glasses that are telling them the names of everyone they're seeing and mapping out like the best way to take out five guys at once, you know, that kind of thing. Like that future is on the horizon. And that's one of the areas that we really need to look is like how VR is going to be integrated into industry and government beyond just entertainment. Yeah. Terminator too. When do you think it truly crosses into the mainstream? I mean, right now we're doing this episode. You're seeing a lot of coverage about it. But when do the people like myself, for instance, who only joined Instagram just a couple of years ago and still doesn't even know how to use TikTok, when do people like me start getting into this? You know what? You may never get into it, for, to be honest. <laughs> like, I mean, there, there's still some barriers. You know, they don't recommend VR headsets for people under age 13. And so that's going to be a big barrier because I think that most people are starting to adopt technology when they're much younger. But I think that once we start seeing smart glasses, when we're seeing VR in the workplace more, where people are finding that they're putting on headsets as part of their jobs, that is partially where we're going to start seeing this have greater adoption. So what's next? What do you see next in the metaverse? Oh, I mean, I just think we're going to see a battle for dominance among some of the major companies. We're going to see Congress trying to pass legislation, some of which, you know, Congress and state legislatures trying to pass bills that some of which might protect privacy, some of which might be the kind of over-restrictive laws that we saw when they were trying to censor video games 30, 40 years ago. 
we'll see a lot of movement on the policy level, on the business level, but I would keep an eye out for when we start to see lenses like glasses that people can wear, wearable technology improve, particularly where it can overlay things over people's world. When is the rise of the machines? Um, probably it was like 15 years ago it started. <laughs> I, oh boy. I don't know what to tell you, but I do think that we live in a world where there may be these invisible forces and algorithms that are affecting us in ways we don't know, and that these algorithms are interacting with each other in ways that we don't really know. And it may be having an impact on our society that is happening slowly and invisibly and we're not really sure about. Be uh, kind to us, algorithm overlords. Dave, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, Masters of Disasters is back and it's probably the most chilling one yet. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan. They're a freelance producer who have been with us for the past six months. Myron, we're going to miss you. We'll always have vegan pastrami. Our show is made by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brosalian, Myron Kaplan, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Kinsley Morgan. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us to put you podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this month. Gracias. Gracias.